welcome to the Ashes into Beauty podcast with your host, Stephanie Marie Laswell, Divorce Concierge at The Divorce Life. Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in today. I am excited to talk to my friend, Mason. He is a cool counselor here in OKC. He's doing some really great things with um, couples, and I'm so excited for him to share all that he's got going on. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Let's start off with what you got going on on Sunday because I think it's fantastic. It's coming around really quick. I've got a couple. It's called the Couple Power Hour. So um, this is happening at um, 7 p.m. The details are 100% on my website and on my um, social media. But it's open for registration on Eventbrite, um, the link of which is on my social media um, this is for anybody. It's not just for couples. So it's anybody who is thinking about what a relationship is like, what they're like inside of a relation, a committed relationship, how to make a relationship last. Um, so it's really for anybody who, if they just got started in a relationship, if they've been in a relationship a long time uh, with a partner, um, and your partner doesn't have to be there. If you're if you're in a relationship with a partner, they don't have to come. Um, it's all virtual, so you can just pop up in your window and sit there and listen the whole time if you want. It's going to be pretty interactive. It's just one hour, It's a, and so that's why we're calling it the power hour. I mean, couples, especially couples with kids, not a lot of time yeah. available. So this would be if you, um, if you protect screen time a lot with your kids, <laughs> maybe save up for this one hour and just give them all their screen time all at once. And that's coming straight from a therapist. So why don't you go ahead and give them that screen time and join join me for the power hour. Um, it's 25 bucks. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So, and uh, up to 30 people can come. If, if you and your partner are both there on the same screen, still 25 bucks. It's not 25 for each. Um, it's 25 for per couple or just 25 for you. So is it like an enrichment thing or is it... Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to hit pretty much... Um, my eight to 10, um, most observable traits in, uh, marriages or relationships that work out and how to make them grow, how to make them better and how to enjoy your relationship and kind of complete the circle a little bit for yourself. That's awesome. I love that. So, and then next Wednesday, I think you said you've got something. Yes, I have my hypnosis experience um, on Wednesday at noon. So take a midday break. And uh, this one is $50 per person um, and because there's only 20 slots available. Mm-hmm. I will talk really briefly about what what it's like, how it works, what it's like to come in for a session. Mm-hmm. That's really what the purpose of this workshop is. Um, because I have a lot of people who do want to consult about hypnosis and ask a bunch of questions, but I only have so many hours in my week that I can give for that. But I do want people to know about hypnosis and be educated on what it really is, um, why it works so well. And, um, so I figured I'll give one hour, people can come consult, understand what it is and, um, also give a little sample, you know, so free sample during that hour. Um, I may take maybe one or two volunteers, do a short exercise, and probably um, anybody who wants to participate during that time can really experience what it's like to to float into hypnosis. That's cool. Which is a really nice feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how do you feel like you're kind of set apart and a little bit different from 
other counselors that are in the area? I mean, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, I mean, for one thing, every, every counselor, every therapist is unique. Um, some of them are a lot similar to each other than others, but for one thing, I'm a marriage and family therapist. Um, and in the state of Oklahoma, there are, you know, I, the last time I saw the numbers, I don't, I don't remember exactly what the numbers were last I saw. It's something in the ballpark of like 7,000 or more LPCs. And an LPC is a licensed professional counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are great th- therapists. They're great counselors. Um, but there is a certain, um, almost like a doctrine that comes with being an LPC that is different than what an LP, L- LMFT is trained for. And in the state we're still in the hundreds um, in terms of how many marriage and family therapists are licensed in the state of Oklahoma. And it's just a different approach to the person. Mm -hmm. It's more systemic. And what that means is, so you come in and even just sitting in this room, I see you, but I also see every attachment you have to every person in your life that has value and influence on you. Um, That's your... Um, your partner, your children, um, anybody who's entered into your life and left an indelible impression upon you, mm-hmm. your caregivers, um, the idea of grandchildren in the future that has an effect on you, a systemic effect on the person, um, and how you understand your values. And those relationships and the way we interact with them have a fundamental effect on how we solve our own problems. I firmly believe this is just what I believe as a therapist that we do change develop and grow in the context of our relationships that may be our relationship with ourselves Mm -hmm. and the internal uh, narratives that we've created over our lives Um, it might be your narrative or your relationship with your god your higher power Um, but it's all relationships everything is relationships and we change and grow in those contexts. But the other thing that sets me apart, of course, is that I went and got trained in a 200-year-old technique that um, most people are spooked by. <laughs> so, and I'm not ashamed of that. I'm yeah. very, I love talking about hypnosis. I love talking about it. So, What are the, some of the results that people get from hypnosis? Well, hypnosis is really good for mindset. Um, mindset and habits, um, persistent emotions, persistent behaviors or habits that people are trying to break. So the go-to is smoking. I mean, anybody, anybody who's trying to quit smoking and has tried to quit smoking, the joke that me and every hypnotist that I am friends with, we always joke that we're the witch doctor and we're the last person anybody comes to to talk to. (laughs) We're not witches. It's not witchcraft. That's the big misconception of it is that it's like, woo-woo, voodoo, witchcraft. And it's not. It's actually pretty mechanical. Um, It's got a pretty sweet, strong history. Um, But uh, I typically spend anywhere from two to three sessions with a person and then they're on their way. I have maybe a very small one or two people who they come back every once in a while, maybe like every couple months, just because they love it. They love how it feels. They enjoy it. It gives them a good, it's like self-care for them. They just, um, it adds to the flavor of their life and keeps them clear, keeps them calm and regulated. So I like them to do that. So 
with all your talking that you've been doing, it's made me wonder, how is it different from meditation? So meditation is something that um, you're, you're attempting to reach a point of presence and present awareness. Um, whereas hypnosis is specifically directed at suggestions for change. So um, it's a shift in consciousness, which is similar to meditation. So a lot of people make the remark that it feels like meditation, right? Especially if you've done TM or something like that, uh, transcendental meditation, um, where it's just kind of this repetitive mantra to keep you centered um, or even prayer. I mean, it, here in our context, it, lots of Christian people who spend like hour or so in prayer, they find themselves kind of in a transcendent state frame of mind or consciousness. Um, it feels a lot like that. When what that is, is it's just this fluidity of your, your conscious thinking and unconscious thinking or subconscious thinking. Those two are interchangeable. Um, and bringing them kind of at the same level. So you are conscious. Um, you are present. And it's because people think that they kind of like get knocked out. Right. Like you're taking control over their <laughs> right. mind. Which is impossible. If I could do that, right. my children would be so perfect everywhere we went and they're just not. So it's just proof that I can't do mind control. That's And I say that seriously because if I had that power, do you know how effective I'd be with so many people in my life? And I'm not. So um, because people have free will and you have free will during hypnosis too. So I've had it happen many times where somebody just opens their eyes and they're like, this isn't happening for me right now. And then we just kind of talk about what that block is for them. And that is usually really healing when they can figure out, okay, there's actually something I'm holding on to that makes me, that I don't want to make this change. Right. Um, and so hypnosis really is, whereas meditation is for present awareness, um, and that's really good for the nervous system. Great for stress. Um, hypnosis is really good for those habits, um, and traumas, breaking traumas and long held emotions that kind of haunt you. And it's, it uses the power of suggestion to shift that unconscious train of thought more in line with the conscious train of thought. So you have to think the conscious mind is really good at goal setting mm -hmm. and we do it every January. <laughs> um, and we do it every week too, you know? So I, we kind of have this rhythmic feel to our week where Sunday comes around and, you know, it's this for most people it's a day off. Um, maybe you go to your place of worship and you get reset right. and you're like, this week is going to, this is my week. Right. I'm going to do these things. You set these goals and then it becomes more and more chaotic as you get closer to Friday, <laughs> right? And that's because the conscious mind is the goal setter and the unconscious mind is the goal getter. Mm -hmm. But our unconscious mind is so automatic on our behalf. It's there to serve us in an automatic way. So we're not working so hard constantly, but it is taking us to the usual result in our lives. And so if we can get that retrained into that conscious goal set, then we can get the goal that we set. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I love how the two like work together. Um, if someone can implement both of them, like I just can see how powerful that could be in somebody's life. I love to teach people how to get themselves into hypnosis and to, you know, especially with sleep. Um, it's really helpful for sleep. I need a session. please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so one of the things that I do with people is I, especially for sleep as I'm teaching them, self-hypnosis. Um, you know, my goal is to work myself out of a job with, with mm -hmm. them. I'm expensive. Mm 
And I know that and I acknowledge it. Maybe that, maybe that's the thing that does set me apart is I am talking about how much money I cost to be seen. Um, and I always tell people, I make it with your while. Okay. You get an hour with me, but you also have access to me throughout the week. Give me a phone call. We'll follow up. Um, and you can text me. These are all services that I provide within my fee. And I don't want too many sessions with you. I want to work myself out of a job. Yeah. If it's not working, we need to find something different for you. Yeah. Your goal I, is healing. Yeah. Potential. Yeah. I want people to find their potential. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a part right there is the fact that you're like, Hey, I'm not here. Just kind of egging this along, yeah. trying to fill my pocketbook. And I mean, I want to make some money, right? <laughs> but I also want to, I think I'll make a lot more money in for myself if, you know, if it works. If people are getting quicker results. Yeah. If they're getting the results they want, because it really is about their potential, mm -hmm. the potential of their relationship, um, the potential of their habits, the potential of their income, uh, all that kind of stuff. So who would you say your like ideal client would be? I always say that my ideal client is anybody who's ready and willing to repeat the habits of successful people. If you are, uh, are not ready to let go of what I refer to in a lot of people, this isn't my phrase. I've, this is an old term. Um, the, my least ideal client is somebody who's unwilling to let go of um, the secondary benefits of their habit mm -hmm. or their long held emotion or their trauma. You know, yeah, yeah. It may be victimhood. That's one example. You know, um, it may be, you know, I was working with somebody recently who said that they were ready to let go of their anger. And as we talked about it, you know, and I did an exercise with them and right away they felt like this was not effective. They were saying, I still, I'm still feeling really angry. And, you know, we kind of had a conversation about how in that person's line of work, their anger really lent to a certain amount of energy and intensity that they were utilizing. And they were kind of afraid to let go of that intensity. And so they were also afraid to let go of that anger. And so their unconscious was just not ready to let go of it, was just gripping onto it because it was, they were benefiting from it too much. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't yet see the benefit of being free from it. Now, after talking a little bit, it came clear that there is a lot more intensity and energy available when you're free from anger. Um, but until that realization was there, uh, there's not much we could do. So I am looking for people who are ready to repeat the behaviors of, of successful people. That's true about couples too, right. especially actually. Yeah. You have to kind of trust the process that putting in this work is going to get you a better result than what you currently are experiencing. Yes. I mean, I'm going to spend an hour with a person and then, then at the end of my day, at the, at the end of my hours with people, I'm going to go home to my life. And at the end of that day, I'm going to lay down in my bed and pull my blankets up to here, my ear. And I'm going to be out like that. I'm going to be out. And, uh, and I won't think about any of uh, those people's problems. It's, the, it's their life. And that's what I want them to see most is this is your life. Let's find your potential. Right. Like, what are you willing to continue in, like, just mindlessly? Mm, yes. 
Because we do live mindless. Yeah, we just get in these ruts where we just mindlessly go. And then something happens one day and we hit a wall and we're like, oh no, how how did we get here? How did this happen? Well, if you're not putting in that work every day, then you just get into that rut and it's not always necessarily a good rut. 100%. So so that's what I think that's what sets me apart. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how coaching and counseling is different. Yes. So... If somebody walks into my office and they have a suitcase, I'm going to be like, oh, where are we going? Uh-huh. If somebody walks into your office and they've got a suitcase, you're like, oh, let's open this up and see what's in there. What's in where there? have you been? <laughs> yes. I think that's a great characterization. Yeah. Um, I have heard this before where it's, you know, coaching holds a future mindset, whereas uh, therapy holds a past exploration mindset. I don't know if that's, I think there's, I think that is true. And, and there's more that is true also, you know, because obviously, I mean, I just got done talking about human potential. So, you know, I'm, I'm hugely involved in people's futures and and their potential. I'm very solution focused, you know, so I want, I want to say, um, what's worked before let's repeat that. When do you see that being repeated? Um, so yeah, that suitcase, I think that's a really great example. I think it's nice for people to be able to open up their suitcase and make sure they know what's in there. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Because we come with so many things that we didn't put in our suitcase sometimes, right? Like all these outside like forces that are kind of like sneaking things in when we're not looking. Who put this in here? Yeah. <laughs> when I wasn't looking, I am certain I locked it. Yeah. And there's just like what we bring like in our growing up that we don't really realize. And even as a parent of five kiddos, like I'm constantly like, Oh no, what am I, what are they going to be talking about in therapy? (laughs) What did I just just (laughs) throw in there? Um, Because we're all evolving, we're all learning, you know, like we don't all have the answers until we kind of experience something and we get some life experience under this and then we're like, oh, now I understand Mm -hmm. what effect that had. Mm -hmm. Um, It's nothing that we can ever prevent 100%. I love coaching and I think that's not something that a lot of therapists are willing to say, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, at the end of the day, this field, this helping field Mm -hmm. is changing and evolving. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's changed and evolved. I mean, I was just, I was just talking to our boy on the other side of this window out here that, you know, gone are the days where psychiatrists run the show mm-hmm. and are seeing clients week after week for 25 years. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was at a conference and I hadn't heard this in a long time. I was at, an, at a conference where there was a guy on stage talking about how he left his practice to do something different. And he was very sad because he, had, he was living behind clients that he'd worked with for 25 years. And I was just like, we are different. <laughs> we are different, you and me. Um, that is a long time to be working with someone. And I actually see that as an ethical issue. Yeah. But that is like, that is a very old approach to this helping field. And so enter in the licensed mental health professional, be it an MFT or an LPC or an LCSW or an LADC, um, any of these, a uh, behavioral health caseworker, things like this, um, that, you know, we've got a brief model, but we're trained in therapy and there's an ethical code surrounding it and there's a rigorous process of degree earning. And so I can, I understand my colleagues when they're like, all these coaches. (laughs) Who do they think they are? are. (laughs) They just want to skip the whole process. But I, you know, 
I, like I tell people who come to my office, I mean, you can either fight change or you can embrace it, but you can't stop it. Mm-hmm. Change is going to happen. And, um, of course, if you embrace it, it'll be great. If you fight it, it's going to suck. But if you try to stop it, you'll, you'll, you'll probably die (laughs) under the pressure of it. You know, at least your spirit will die. And so, um, you know, I really love all my friends that are coaches. I've got a lot of really great, um, relationships with coaches because I think that it's just another part of the field and it's another advancement in the field. I've got one, um, friend who's a coach, um, just down the road here. And, um, he became a coach like eight years ago just because he saw the trend happening and he jumped on and he's excellent. He, he works really well with people and he knows his limits too. I mean, he's like, I'm, I mean, there's certain therapeutic things that I'm just not about to step into. So I think that's the sign of a really good coach. Um, and you know, I think it's also appropriate for therapists to acknowledge when they're not really a good coach. (laughs) You know, I think there's a lot of coach, a lot of therapists who really already have the skill set of a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, all they need to do is refine that and and market it, really. Um, but many of my therapist friends don't have that um, that coaching mindset. You know, I I'm thinking in terms of human potential and mindset change. Um, but there's a lot of therapists out there that are thinking in terms of you know, just pattern recognition and adding a coping skill or two. And that's not something I'm interested in. Yeah. Yeah. From the coaching perspective, I, especially with working with divorcees, it's um, kind of challenging their perspective a little bit. Yes. And when they get stuck and it's got to be one way, um, kind of educating them on the process and taking them down different routes to see, well, what if we did this? Or, you know, what if there's a better solution on this route if we take this route and just kind of helping them understand that they're not going to get emotional justice in a courtroom when there are a lot of times that that's what they're fighting for when we can resolve things outside of a courtroom Um, and then helping them think about what those processes are and what that next step is. So as a coach, it's kind of like a practical, like here's our to-do list. And we need to work our way through this to-do list of this is the next step and this is the next step. And then kind of how are we managing our emotions within a legal process? <laughs> Have you watched Ted Lazo? Um, briefly. It's got to be on your list. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's a, I think it's just a great example of coaching um, because, I mean, do you know the concept of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the whole, I mean, the whole story is he's a college football coach, an uh, American football coach and you know, he gets tasked to coach the sport that he's never coached. And then he shows up and he's wildly effective with it, right? I was just sitting here thinking about this because I was like, I was thinking, I like the idea of a specific coach. You are a divorce coach. Um, if, if I was working with somebody who needed extra help with their sobriety, I would send them to, uh, I would send them to Charles. He is a recovery coach. Right. Um, but I could also send them to, uh, uh, my friend Anthony, who is a motivation coach. Right. Um, I could also send somebody to, uh, my friend who is a, a sex coach. Right. It's so specific. It's almost, it almost is like sports where it's like, if I'm a baseball coach, can I take those same precepts that made me effective, uh, on the baseball field? 
and take it to the tennis court Mm -hmm. and be effective. And chances are probably so. Mm -hmm. The familiarity with the sport may not matter as much. Um, but when it does, holy cow, I mean, that's what makes you super effective as a, as a divorce coach. Um, and therapists do that too. We have our niches, Mm -hmm. but, and, you know, I was just kind of wondering if you feel like, um, there's a lot of replicability across coaching because I mean, you do kind of see these specializations. I mean, I think it's a lot, um, probably a lot of the same things that you do, but just a lot of listening intently and actually going deeper than maybe what they're doing on their own in their thinking or in their processing. Um, and then just gently challenging it a little bit. It's like you're keeping them focused. Yeah. And especially with the divorce process, it's kind of like we have to kind of enter this as a business transaction. So a lot of times there's high energy or high emotions that are guiding our decisions, but we really need to put our logical thinking cap on and deal with our emotions outside of the decision-making process. Um, Because when we go in with emotional decision-making, maybe we're missing some of the risk that we're asking to take on. Maybe we're not fully prepared to take on the house, but we want to keep the house because that's where the kid's home is. And that's an emotional decision. We have to make sure that we're qualified to take on all the risk of owning a home on our own now as a single income. So just kind of helping people think through it a little bit more logically while also being sensitive to the emotional roller coaster that they're going through and all the transitions that are happening and hitting them to where they feel paralyzed and they don't even know how to make decisions um, is a lot of times what I get. It's like, I don't even know what I want. I don't know what to ask for. I don't know what to do next. And so walking alongside of them and helping them come up with like, this is how we're going to get through this and you will get through it. (laughs) You know, I imagine, I mean, I imagine it is a lot of keeping people focused Mm -hmm. on what, on what they need to be doing, you know, especially with the divorce, because I mean, you and I both know I've got so many people. I mean, I've got a, I just recently had an inquiry from somebody who's like, I don't know what's happening with my husband anymore. And I don't think I can do much more with him, you know, which makes my heart break because I'm thinking, you know, what was the point in that relationship's history where it could have been helped? Mm -hmm. And now here's this person who wants out. And this is going to be a hard road for them because, you know, what I was getting at is um, the emotional component is, am I doing the right thing here? Yeah. The bargaining. Am I going to regret this whole thing? The bargaining that happens when one day I'm out and the next day is, well, maybe I should give it one more chance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe he will change. Maybe I should meet with him and hear all of these things and see if if the changes have really happened. Yeah. I just want to check and see. So, you know, helping them, like kind of calling them on, on those things. Yeah. Remember, stay the course. Yeah. Yeah. That is part of the process. That is just a part of that roller coaster that people go through. There's a ton of grief. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the mourning process, I think is something that we do not talk about enough and how long and how many, many, many years later, even if you think that you're over it, something can happen and it'll slap you right in the face. Mm -hmm. And so we don't teach people how to handle the mourning process in healthy ways, or they don't even realize like that's what they're experiencing. Have you read uh, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes? I haven't. Oh my gosh, pick it up. Okay. 
the author of this book refers to it as, um, she describes it as a million little funerals. Mm. Oh, yes. And I think that is just a beautiful characterization of many things that people go through in life, but especially the people that I'm sitting with who are right in the middle of divorce, either just on the other side of it or just at the beginning of it, or it doesn't matter. There's a million little funerals. You might be in the grocery store and then suddenly there are 10 things that are on your mind about this thing in your life because it's so, it can be so looming. Um, so I think, you know, I think that's why it's great to have a, I mean, you know, I've already sent like four people, uh, whether all of them have called you or not. I know one has for sure, um, decided, yeah, Stephanie's going to really help me for sure. Um, but I think it's nice to have somebody to keep you on the course, mm-hmm. you know, and it, I mean, in that way, it's no different than, I mean, it's a lot different, but it's no different than, um, um, coaching a sport, right. you know, you're going to walk out here. And you have to remember what your goal is. There's going to be all these things going on, right? There's going to be the the drunk guy on the front row. Remember what your goal is, right? There's, you know, you're going to have, your opponent is going to be out there and will probably be distasteful and unsportsmanlike. You have to stay, you know, stay focused. You have a job to do here. Um, you know, especially, uh, I think that's especially true with like runners and swimmers. It's always um, tough to them. And I've done a lot of hypnosis with, athletes. And one of the things that I'm suggesting to them is here you are on this, on this course, you're running your path and your eyes are forward. And I just repeat that over and over. Your eyes are forward because what's anybody's gut instinct when they're in the middle of a race? Yeah. I want to see what my opponent's doing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this is a, I just realized that this is a talk show and no one can see us. I just jerked my head to the right as if I'm looking at an opponent that I'm racing against, which you can't do when you're racing, when you're, if you're in track, if you're in the pool, you can't be looking at where your opponent's at to see if you're beating them because the moment you do that is the moment you lose because they'll pull ahead. You've lost, because you've lost your focus on the, on the goal. You have to keep your eyes forward. And so anytime I've worked with an athlete, I'm just repeating, keep your eyes forward along with other things, but it's keeping focused on the goal. I think that's really what coaches are great for. So I refer to coaches a ton. Every, every coach that I know, every time I sit down with them, they're coaching me because <laughs> they can't get out of it. Just like I can't stop doing therapy with people. I always tell people I'm always hypnotizing you. You know, so if they're like, are you hypnotizing me right now? I'm like, always. I'm always hypnotizing you. But every coach that I know, every time I sit down with them, they're like using all their coaching tricks on me. And suddenly I've got this like very forward minded orientation that I'm like, man, I did not show up. I did not show up here with this goal driven attitude that suddenly I just want to accomplish Go all my dreams. conquer the world. I just want to accomplish <laughs> all my dreams. Make my dreams come true. Make all the money in the world. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. And it's really hard to receive it. Like when you're a coach to be coached by someone else. Mm-hmm. That's really hard. It can be very intense. Yeah. Or to like point out, oh, that was not a good coaching move. <laughs> this is why I can't get people to come have dinner at my house. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're going to be. And if they do, they never talk about what they dreamed about last night. <laughs> I had a friend just the other day who was, we were in a group and he was talking about a dream that he had. And everybody was like, ooh, that's so interesting. What a cool dream. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. I, I just. Had to bite your tongue. I had to. I had to sit on myself. I texted him later and I just said, if you want to know, let me know. Yes. <laughs> I'm here <laughs> to interpret to, your dream. I just had to sit there. That's funny. Know, and I've learned how to do that. But. That's awesome. Well, I always love talking to you. Oh, yeah. 
And um, I really appreciate the stuff that you're doing and how you're helping people kind of decide if this is something we stick to and fight through or if this is something that we need to say it's over mm-hmm. because you're very open and honest about that yeah. conversation too. It's happening a ton. I was just on my way here thinking it's like a, it is like a plague. Divorce is not the plague. The plague is that we have somehow accidentally formed a, a culture or a society where it's more attractive to be in denial about the things that need to change about yourself than to be vulnerable, ask for help, and get the relationship you want with your partner. How did the denial get to be more attractive? And this is what I try to tell people all the time, you know, when they're like, you know, they're unwilling to recognize their own personal flaws that could change. And, you know, it's like, how did, especially, unfortunately, for men, how did it become more attractive to stay in denial and keep your problems than to open your mouth, be vulnerable, ask for help, and benefit from a loving relationship for the rest of your life? And now as a result, I have countless women who are coming into my office saying, I don't know what happened to my relationship. I don't know where it went. And they tried so hard. Mm-hmm. They did everything. They they did all the right things. They followed all the right steps. And that's where a lot of the doubt comes from is I did all the right stuff. Mm-hmm. I really thought I did all the right stuff. And still my relationship is not working out. And, you know, I always have to um, point out that, you know, it's not their baggage. Yeah. Yeah. That's somebody else's baggage that they were unwilling to let go of. Don't let their baggage be your baggage. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's what I would say to anybody right now who's in the middle of wondering if, if uh, divorce is right for them or if they're second guessing their divorce, um, only hold your baggage. Yeah. Don't hold anybody else's baggage. That's what I would say. And you can only can tra- change yourself. You can't change the other person. So, you know, if you're, you've given a good go at it and you've given 100% and the other person's still not willing to put in the work or take their responsibility in that, then we're in gridlock. What do you, yeah. What do you do? So that's when you have to make that decision yeah. for yourself. Unfortunately. Yeah. So anyway, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for letting me come. Yeah. I'm excited to, I want to come check out one of your hypnosis classes. Yeah. yeah. I will put on, so I'll just say, um, my website is www.masonphillipslmft.com and our Good friend Caleb is revamping it so that all my work, all my workshops will be available there. Um, and I have three, um, my most intensive workshop, they're all virtual. Uh, my most intensive workshop is, um, uh, my redefining intimacy that will happen every three months. Um, I have my, um, couples power hour that's going to happen every month and then on a Sunday evening. And then uh, the hypnosis is going to be available every two weeks. Oh, that's awesome. Great. Well, we'll throw that in the show notes too. So everybody can find you easily. 100%. Yeah. Love it. Well, I appreciate your partnership and all that you're doing. I appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in listeners. Until next time, Radiate Love. For more information on services or divorce resources provided by The Divorce Life, you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram or find us at www.thedivorcelife.com.
Thank you for tuning in and listening, and a big thanks to my producer, Jazz, at the Possibilities Podcast Center.